Along with Brother Benny, I want to welcome each one to the services this morning. It's truly a blessing for me to worship with you this morning and to stand before you today. It's a, a true honor and blessing to bring to you some thoughts that I have studied from God's Word. Now, if you made a special effort to be here this morning, I want to thank you for that effort. Now, when we make efforts toward God, He appreciates that and He honors that. And we should honor Him with our best this morning. I believe we've done that this morning. Now, our families are the building blocks for the church and our society. We've often heard that. Strong families lead to strong churches, strong communities, and a strong country. All of these things promote peace. Sadly, the opposite is also true. Weak or dysfunctional families often lead to church splits, crime, and even wars. How we interact within our earthly families will have great and lasting impact, either positive or negative, on the church and its ability to fulfill God's mission for it, which is saving souls. It's important that we understand God's design for the family. If we understand His design, we can properly fulfill God's expectations for us. When we do this, we will be blessed and God will be glorified. I believe the significance of the family is borne out in recent lessons given here at Northwest. This past Father's Day on June 18th, Brother D. Till spoke on the role of fathers and the importance of that role. On Mother's Day, May 14th, Brother Mark Hayes spoke on the hand that rocks the cradle and the role of mothers. And on April 23rd, Brother Craig Setliff spoke on what God expects from young people. I encourage you to go back and review this material. It's very important to each one of us. These are all very important God-given roles within the family. And roles that, when properly fulfilled, promote lives that are full of joy, hope, and love. But you know, from the very beginning, Satan has sought to change, remo remove, blur, and even condemn the responsibilities of everyone in the family unit, the father, the mother, and the children. By doing this, generations have lost sight of what God expects from them. This has left voids in our homes, in the church, and in society. Too often, families lack proper guidance and direction because Satan has succeeded in confusing God's simple design for the family. It's important that we understand what Satan's ultimate goal is, and that is confusion, pain, and ultimately eternal death. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus offers an abundant life. And God's plan and purpose for the family offers just that to us. One filled with joy, hope, love, and a peace that passes understanding that only comes when one stands justified before God through an obedient faith. This morning I want to look at the command that was first given to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai and that was also given to us in, by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2. Ephesians 6 and verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, I believe this command is very important to those children that are still at their parents' home. But I also believe it is a commandment that is exceedingly important to all of us 
no matter where we find ourselves in life, even when we've left the safety of the home of our youth. In Matthew chapter 19, while addressing the Pharisees' question on divorce, Jesus showed what God intended in marriage, a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. As husbands and wives, that is what we should be striving to accomplish in our lives. Within that relationship is where children are to be born, raised and prepared for life on their own. When the child becomes mature, the relationship between their parents and the child is not severed, but it changes. When that child gets married, they enter the role that they saw their parent embody before them as they were growing up, a husband leading and a wife submitting and helping. The child's focus is now on their own commitments within their home. When children are born, that cycle has come full circle. However, it's God's plan on earth, and if it's going to be successful to the best of its ability, it's important that the relationship between child and parent continue, even though it may look different as long as both of them are alive on the earth. So what does it mean to honor your parents, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2? First thing, I believe it means to respect. Let's go back to the original command that Paul was referencing here in Ephesians chapter 6. We find that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. It says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Hebrew word underlying honor suggests heaviness, weightiness, and severity, all in a long-lasting, continual sense. It implies an importance or significance, lifelong responsibility. God shows how important He viewed this command when He gave the punishment for those children that did not obey that command, death by stoning. The writer of Proverbs put it, puts it very graphically, and he puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pluck it out, and the young eagles will eat it. I don't think he could be any more direct and straightforward. Two English synonyms for honor are respect and reverence. Reverence means to have a deferential regard for, to treat with propriety and consideration. And reverence is respect turned up a notch because it is combined with adoration or awe. So why does God want a person to respect and honor their parents? First, I believe it goes back to the fact that the family is the basic building block of society. If we learn to honor and respect our parents, we will be better equipped and better able to honor and respect those in society that we should honor and respect, which is everyone. And ultimately, we will learn to honor and respect our Heavenly Father. You know, it's the same principle we find in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. 1 John 4 and 20, John says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So how can we say that we honor and respect God when we do not show honor and respect to those that he has given to us in this life that we know, that we see, that we interact with? 
and has commanded us to honor. The Apostle Peter commands us to honor all those that we deal with in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17 says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We're commanded to show honor and respect specifically to those that are older than us. When dealing with those in the congregation, Paul tells the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. This word rebuke that's used here in 1 Timothy 5, this is the only place that this Greek word is used in the Bible. And it means to chastise or to berate someone. Paul tells us that we should not act in this manner, in this manner of disdain when dealing with those that are older than us. Last time I checked, parents are older than their children. This means we should love, honor, and respect and have that and show that when we deal with our parents. We should build them up rather than tear them down. It's not our place to point out all their faults and kick them while they're down. The same way in which we honor and show honor to a king or someone in authority, we should show that same honor and respect toward all men, and this should first be learned at home by honoring our parents. Now, I believe too often we're tempted to show honor and respect to everyone outside of our family or everyone that's at arm's length from us, but those that are closest to us, those closest relationships, our spouse, our parents, our closest friends, sometimes we do not may maintain the effort required to show them the respect and honor that they deserve. How often have you seen grown children take advantage of their parents? Talking down to them, taking advantage of them in business or in personal relationships, only looking for money in that relationship, or neglecting their own responsibility to raise their own children and leaving it to the grandparents. While the relationship between grandparents and grandchildren is important and valuable, it is not God's design for children to be raised by their grandparents. Sometimes because of tragedy, this has to be the case, but the best way, God's way, is that parents fulfill their responsibility. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know, if we lose respect for anyone, specifically our parents as we're talking about today, it becomes much easier to take advantage of them. Then, the relationship that God has intended to bless us throughout our life now has become a curse to us. We cannot let that happen. The next point I like to note that honoring implies or honoring, honoring demands is that we obey our parents. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Let as many bondservants as are, as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. When children do not honor their parents, the name of the Lord is blasphemed. We're saying that it's not, God's way is not the best way. I have a better way than God does. In order to show honor to His master, a servant must obey Him. We give honor to those that we obey. We show that we acknowledge their authority over us. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When we're young and in our parents' home, obedience is imperative. As a child should obey their parents in the Lord, I believe that, in, that commands certain things. Number one, I believe we must obey our parents as if it was the Lord that was commanding us. We see this same idea Born out in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of the inheritance you serve, for you serve the Lord Christ. We need to honor our parents and submit to them, especially when we're in their household, and do what they say. But in the Lord also demands that we obey them as long as it goes in accordance with God's word. They have authority over us, but they do not have the ultimate authority. God alone holds that position. I remind you of the apostles. After being beaten, after being scourged, and being told, Do not preach this Christ. Do not lay His blood at our feet. What did they say? Under threat of more punishment and death. Acts 5 verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Young souls that are given to a parent's care, how important does that make that interaction become? You are God's representation on this earth to train that child. Make sure that you're in God's Word. Make sure that you know what God wants you to do so that you, can, you will not lead your children astray, but give them the blessing of a godly home. You know, at some point, we become our own person and we become accountable to God when we understand right and wrong. Because our parents may have taught us wrong, that doesn't give us a pass when we come to the age of accountability. I remind you of the rich man in Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. You know, many times we interact with people and, and maybe their upbringing maybe keeps them from wanting to go full force towards service to God because they feel like in some way they are dishonoring their parents by submitting to the truth they find in God. You know, the rich man, suppose he was a Jew, but he did not live in a godly manner. What was his response when he, was, when he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom? Did he want his brothers that were still on the earth to continue to do as he did? No, even in his wickedness, he said... Send somebody back. Keep them from following the same course that I have. You know, even if we have pa uh, parents that have passed on, and maybe they weren't members of the church, maybe they didn't know the truth, they would want us to know the truth. They would want what's best for us. We see that the, the rich man wanted what was best for his siblings. Our parents would want the same for us. Just like everything else, when God designs something, when, it is, when we follow that design, parents teaching our children and children submitting to parents, it works the best for everyone involved. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. There's no one in this world that wants what's better for you than your parents. And as I said, the, this shows how grave the responsibility is for the parents, and we cannot take it lightly. When parents make the effort to train their children early, 
when children see the value in that training and take part and submit to their parents, both parties are blessed, not only in that immediate time of interaction, but for many years and many generations down the stream of time. Remind you of Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. As parents, you're not just trying to get through these 16, 17, 18, 20 years while you have your kids at home without killing each other, without becoming at odds with each other, but you're trying to direct those arrows so they will hit the mark and bring glory to God throughout their life. This morning, if you are raised in a loving, God-fearing home, be thankful. Thank your parents. Don't wait till one day of the year on Mother's Day or one day of the year on Father's Day to tell you, your parents thank you for your upbringing. Be a thankful people. Acknowledge what they've done for you. Because realize that's not the case for the vast majority of people in society. You've been blessed if you've been raised in a godly home. But if you have not been raised in a loving, God-fearing home, make the most of the opportunities that you have to raise your family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and give your kids something that maybe you did not have. I promise you, a godly upbringing will make more of an impact on your children's eternity for good than any amount of money or worldly pleasures or status ever could in this life. You know, as I said before, after a child leaves their parents' home, that relationship changes. But the values and principles learned as a child should continue to guide that child as long as they're making decisions on their own. You know, I believe if we look at the book of Proverbs, this is written to a grown child that a father is wanting to make wise decisions through his life. He's wanting to help him. He's got him raised, but now he wants him to continue to submit to God as he has the authority in his life. If you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 1 through 9. Proverbs 1, 1 through 9 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity to give prudence to the simple, to, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the works of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, and I read this as if one pleading to his son, he says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a grace, a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. They will bless you continually throughout your life if you will submit to them. You know what's truly sad about this reading is that the wise man Solomon who penned this, the king of Israel, the, the wisest man save Christ that lived upon the face of this, the earth, his son did not heed his own father's counsel when choosing how to rule his kingdom. He did not listen to the counsel of the elders that lived with Solomon, but he listened to his peers. And because of that, God's kingdom was divided. 
And his people were led into idolatry. And for generations they had to suffer the consequences for the lack of wisdom that this son had when choosing. When our upbringing aligns with God's Word, it is a true blessing. And we cannot squander that blessing. You know, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 is very clear. It's not our name that makes us justified before God. It's not our ancestry, but it's each person. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wickedness of the Father is not put on the Son, and the righteousness of the Father is not put on the Son, or vice versa. Each person stands on their own. So we need to listen to the counsel that we've been given, especially when we have godly parents. We need to learn from their mistakes and experiences so that we don't have to endure the consequences that maybe they had and so that we can live a life unbound by those effects of sin and we can be a blessing to those around us and to the church and to God. You know, I believe there are examples throughout the Bible both of those that acted poorly as we talked about Rehoboam, but also of those that honored their parents and that submitted to the wise counsel of their parents. And because of that, they were blessed and the, everyone around them was blessed as well. You know, one of those that comes to my mind is Hadassah, that we know as Esther in the Bible. She was a good example of a person that honored her parents. And she was an orphan. Now, her parents had died, we find, in the book of Esther. But Mordecai, her cousin, cared for her as her, his child. He was her father, and she was his daughter. And we see that that relationship continued even after she left Mordecai's home. You know, chances are your parents have been through a situation very similar to whatever situation you're going through in this life at this very moment in time. And they've probably learned from that situation. And they have wisdom from their experiences that they would love to help you with in a loving manner to help you to make the most of your life. You know, Mordecai must have known something bad would happen if Esther was to reveal her nationality from the beginning. Or maybe he knew there would come a time that would present itself and it would be able to bring glory to God. But whatever the case, he told Esther, don't reveal where you're from when you go before the king. So she did not do that. And she kept that to herself. And she became the queen of the land. Later on in the story of Esther, God's people are threatened because the evil man Haman, who also came from a decision many generations before when Saul did not kill the Amalekites. His ancestor was Agag, the king of the Amalekites. So this wicked Haman devises a plan to destroy the Jews. And a decree is sent out that on a certain day, all the Jews of the land of Persia, which was the largest uh, country in the world at that time, the, a world empire, that they would, were to be slaughtered. In Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth 
and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hattach, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. And he gave him, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. She was in a place of authority. She could have commanded, and I'm sure she could have taken Mordecai's life. She could have commanded him to be put in jail. She could have commanded many things, but she implored him, What's going on? When Esther asked Mordecai why he was in sackcloth and ash, he told her of the decree that the king had made to destroy all the Jews. You know, Mordecai asked es Esther to go before the king. She's no longer under his authority in the home, but he asked her, go before the king and implore on the behalf of myself, yourself, and all the people of the land, the Jews. You know, I believe, I believe Esther probably would have been safe from the decree. She would not have been killed as the rest of the Jews. She could have kept her identity hidden. But even though she would have been free from that, from that risk, she risked her life to save her people and to, and to fulfill what Mordecai had asked of her. We go on in Esther chapter 4 verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are, at present, who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day, my maids, and I will fast likewise. And so if I go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She said, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to go, and if some bad things happen to me, bad things happen. She was willing to submit to his counsel. She understood that his way was the best. You know, the obedience that Esther learned as a child... It continued to guide her and help her throughout her life. By learning obedience to her father, she also learned obedience and learned authority that comes from God. She didn't just look at her own interests, as we see many others in the Bible did, like Lot's daughters, but she looked after the interest of Mordecai and all of her people because she submitted to God's plan. We also see from this example that we can never become too important to listen to the counsel of others that are wise, and especially our parents. As we've already noted, Rehoboam did exactly the opposite. He didn't listen to the counsel of the wise elders of the land, but he listened to his peers. Finally, we show honor to someone through monetary support. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Also in Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We are to honor God with our material possessions. We collect funds each first day of the week because that's the example we've been given to lay by in store and provide for the work of the church. We're also, we also see that we are to honor, through monetary support, 
those widows that meet the qualifications of one able to be supported. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 says, Honor widows who are really widows. We also see that there are elders of the church that are worthy of being supported monetarily. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine, for the scripture says, you, are not, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. As I said before, oftentimes those we're closest to, those that care the most about us, those are the ones that we show the least respect. But God says that should not be the case. Those that labor in word and in doctrine, they should be worthy of our honor. And as with the widows and elders... And those that need our assistance, we should be willing to look after and provide for our own parents if that need arises. I'd like to look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, beginning verse 1. Matthew 15, verse 1 says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They pose a question, and I'm sure it's not a sincere question. They're wanting to trip him. But notice what his response is. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to father or mother... Whatever profit it might, you might have received from me, it is a gift. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They couldn't even go to God in worship. The very next verse says their worship was vain because they were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Greek word used in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, speaking of widows, is the same one used in verses 4 and 6 in this passage, which means to look after and to care for, as we would with anything that is of value. This including spending money on it if the need arises. Remember, your parents have cared for you. They've brought you up. And in the case when they are godly parents, they've brought you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, if you look at figures, the average cost to raise a child is somewhere between $250,000 to a million dollars to raise them today from birth to age 18. There's no reason for us to be unwilling to spend some money to support our parents. Now that doesn't mean that our parents need to be a burden on us, that they need to drain us dry, so to speak. But it means that we need to be willing and generous toward those that have given us so much in this life, especially when they are of the household of faith. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that when we do not provide for those of our own house, 
then we bring shame on the body of Christ and we are even worse, the Bible says, than an infidel, one that does not even believe in Christ. You know, as with anything, when we look at an example of how we should live, Christ is our very best example. And I believe He showed us the greatest example of what it meant to honor your parents. You know, if, as this morning, in a few moments, we're going to partake of the communion. And we're going to remember the death of Jesus Christ. And what He went through to give us a hope of everlasting life. Do you know, He went through agony, not only for those moments, on, those hours on the cross, but many, much time before that. Being betrayed, being, bit, being spit upon, being beaten, being scourged being lied about, finally hanging on that cross. You know, there were hours that took place there, and volumes could have been written about the time that Christ spent on the cross. I think it's important we know what was written about His time on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross, Jesus, by the cross of Jesus His mother and His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. Did Jesus think it was important to provide for his parents? Did he think it was important to make sure that his mom was cared for? When he had the weight of the sin of the entire world on his shoulders, what was he concerned about? Himself? No. His parents. His mom. Now I'm sure Mary had done so much for Christ growing up. She had raised him with Joseph to be their child. She was highly highly esteemed by God to do this. But don't you imagine Christ was probably the easiest child in the world to raise? But yet, He still honored His parents. As in everything, Christ exemplified what it means to be a servant and to perfectly fulfill God's law on this earth. In conclusion this morning, I hope that it's evident from what we've read and studied that we need to honor our parents. We need to respect them. We need to obey them when they lead us in the way of God. And we need to provide for them if they need it. By doing this, we show that we esteem God's law more than our own opinions, more than our own desires. We show that God's way is the best way because He is the creator of the family. You know, today in, in today's society... The Bible says you only need a man and a woman in order to have a child. And after that, the child should be able to be brought up however a person wants to. But we see that is not the best way. And that does not bring glory to God. We are blessed when we do things God's way. But we are also cursed when we dishonor God and His creation and His way Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 16 said, Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. As we said earlier, our parents want what's best for us. 
And it is literally biting the hand that fed you when you treat your parents with contempt. If godly parents tell you something, take heed. I'd like to leave you with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1-3. through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Praise God for godly parents. Well, that's all that I've prepared this morning. There's one here that's been taught the plan of salvation that wants to put on Christ in baptism, understanding that the only way to God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the death that He died on Calvary and the blood that was shed at that point, and having the purity of that blood wash away your sins so that you can stand justified before God. If you want to put on Christ in baptism, or the, if you want the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.